0: Good morning. Is that a bit punchy. Sorry. My name is Dennis. Um, for those I haven't met yet, I'm the new curate. As Ben Moy would say, I'm the new one. The new one. They say art imitates life. I'd like you to imagine for a second you're walking along the South Bank, just by the river, on your way towards Millennium Bridge. And as you walk, people are looking at you. They're all staring. You're like, oh, why are they looking? Carry on trying to walk on, but the eyes are there. So you stop and you turn around, and there's a mime. And everything you do, he does. You try and sort of shimmy to the side. They shimmy to the side. You try and shimmy to this side. They shimmy to this side. When they say art imitates life, that's the relationship that they're talking about. It's like when you you're about to leave your house and you see the mirror, and in the mirror you see yourself, and you think, ooh, I probably should change from this outfit. Into something else. That happened this morning. I was late for prayers. There is something that happens. When you see a reflection of yourself. That communicates something of yourself to you. Films which are art. um, Point to things in society. That society is trying to find out about itself. Points to hungers and, and thirsts. So, if you watch, say, um, uh, uh, a film about love, we did Bridget Jones last week. Society is asking what it means to love and interrogating what it means to be faithful and not faithful. If you watch a film um, about aliens, for instance, about space, society is asking about what's beyond. It's hungry to know what's beyond. So, across the series, we're looking at films, but let's hold them not as sort of, they're not theological texts. They're not going to tell us about God because I think God is missing. What they're going to tell us about is about the hungers and thirsts that societies have for belonging, for a love that lasts, for connection that's deeper. The only trouble is with the, with the films, um, you find love in, in men who are unrealistic. Um, they, they come up like Superman. And aren't, they're not like me, who, like, I, I tend to forget to make my wife a cup of tea when I've made myself one, or leave a spoon in the sink. They're not real like that. So we leave a made up world in the cinema and come back to I hate my job Mondays. We use the films as mirrors because they show us that society doesn't want, in, say, 12 years a slave, doesn't want slavery anymore. Frowns on it. It wants a different life. Those are the things that we find in the films. So, as Christians, watch them, but situate yourself in the world that the films are trying to portray and find out what the hunger that we share with them because we are in the world is. And then come to the Father in heaven who actually gives us real answers. That's for all the other films and today. This week, we're looking at a film called The Terminal. The Terminal is a film about a guy called Victor. Victor is from a place called Krakosia, which is non-existent. He leaves Krakosia, boards a plane, on his way to New York. Mid-flight, there's a war in the country. And during the, because there's a war, no one's in charge. There's no government, no recognized government. When he lands in New York, there's no government, so his papers are void. They can't let him into america he has to stay in the terminal until there's a conclusion to the where are you from question he's a man with no nation he makes the airport his home it starts quite funnily because for the first sort of couple of months almost he can't speak english imagine no earnings nothing it's it's all gone he can't speak english Doesn't understand the social norms. So one of the scenes, you see him in his bathrobe um, walking across the international lounge with a toothbrush, brushing his teeth as he just kind of trudges on to where he needs to go next. We follow him as that sort of goes on. But as the film develops, we realize he isn't the only one who is stuck. He's not the one who's stuck. The sort of head administrator, the, the, the main guy at the airport, Frank, really wants a promotion so he can go manage a bigger airport but his bosses don't want to give him the promotion. So he's stuck there. One of the cleaners, Gupta, wants to go home to India to his, to his wife, but he's afraid of the change and he thinks she hasn't forgiven him for something that he did years and years and years before. You have this porter who's in love with a, a security officer in the immigration desk, but he's afraid that she'll judge him because of the job that he does. He's stuck. Everybody's stuck. They want something better There's Amelia, who's the air hostess. She's in a relationship with the pilot, who's unfaithful to his wife. But she can't leave, because she doesn't want to experience loneliness. She's stuck. Victor lands. Now, Victor is different. Victor is free from all these sort of things. He's fearless. He's out of place. He's weird, but in a good way. It's weird, but in a good way. Now, the thing about Victor is he's not trying to get to America just to be in America. His dad was a jazz fan, and his dad gathered signatures from all the favorite artists that he had, and there was one person left, one person left before his dad died. This guy plays the saxophone at the Ramada Hotel in New York City. So, Victor is trying to get to New York just to go to this place, and get this one signature, stick it in a can where all the other signatures are, close the can and finish the work that his father set out for him. But he lands. he's a man with no country, he's stuck in an airport for months. By the time we get to the scene I'm gonna show you now, he's, he's been there long enough to learn English. Imagine you had that can to finish, that work to finish, and you're stuck somewhere for long enough to learn another language. Frank wants to get rid of Victor because actually for so long as Victor's in the airport, um, there's no promotion because it's bad for business, a man trouncing around in his bathrobe. So there's this dialogue between Frank and Victor where Frank's trying to get him out. Victor's just being himself and honest. Just being himself, but at cost, at a great cost to to being himself, Victor's kind of left. I'll play you the video and then we'll carry on. tell him in order to export medicines from this country he needs to have the proper form he needs to have me. a, medici- a medicinal purchase license oh, okay, okay? Uh, you understand uh, me victor in uh, most issue, the of these issues you the cause photo based document uh это называется немо что понимаешь патя заболел Он вот такой мужик, короче, он 72, но ну держится как кремень, все сам делает, крышу, все сам, дрова рубит, понимаешь, заболел 6 лет назад такое же было, ничего не помогал, вот только из Канады лекарства, это из канадского лекарства, и у меня еще есть, да не мой, вот мне все, дай сюда, 4 едут в Канаду. He needs to have the form signed by the local hospital who's treating his father, and a doctor in Canada. These medicines have to stay in the United States now that they're here. They have to stay here. This is your book, He's begging. I, I know, I can see that he's begging. I can see that. I'm sorry, sir. You'll have to take a flight in the morning. The medicine stays here. I'm sorry. her <laughs> down! All right. All right. Thank you, Victor. Oh, Good job. Thank you. Let's go. Oh, 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 oh. Hey, uh, God. What? God. God. the, the uh, medicine is for God. Goat. goat? Yes. Yes. Medicine is is for God. Yeah, <laughs> God. He said that? Yes. He, he say, uh, we not understand, I not understand God. Wait, what are you saying? You mis- You misunderstood him? That the medicine is not for his dying father? No, no. Uh, the, the, the Krakosia, the name for a father, is sounds like God. I make mistake. <laughs> Why are you doing this, Victor? Medicine is uh, for good. No, it's not. Yes. No, it's not. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. No. You've been reading the immigration forms, the blue one. Blue. Yep, blue. 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 The blue form, the one that says if it's an animal, he doesn't need the medicinal purchase license. Mm -hmm. You know it. No, then he can just bring the drugs in. Very good, Victor. That's very good. Why are you doing this? Huh? You don't know him. You don't know the rules. Look at me. I was going to help you. Now, I want you to ask him. One last note. Not you. I want you to ask him. I want to hear him say it. I want to hear him say who the medicine is for. Please, who the medicine is for. znaje <laughs> za Answer him, Mr. Milodragovich. Who are the pills for? Okay. The pills stay. He goes. That's it. Come on now. Let's go. Easy. Take it easy. Come on. God. Medicine for God. Medicine for God. Um... Do go get the DVD, watch the film. It's thoroughly exciting. Um, what in that scene happens is uh, the man ends up going with the medicine, but Frank doesn't want to let him through with the drugs because if he breaks the rules and an inspection's coming, he won't get the promotion that he wants. Can you imagine being so caught up in social norms? That you don't recognize opportunities to be humane. Why are you doing this? You don't know him. You don't know the rules. It may be like the, sorry, and this is me coming from the West Country back to London. Maybe like the silence in a packed tube carriage during rush hour. Or the frowns when the smelly homeless guy gets on board or enters the church during the post-service coffee. You don't know him. You don't know the rules. You know how it works. I could help you. Frank's willing to let the man's father effectively die because he wants a promotion. Victor ends up staying in the terminal because he helps this guy for much longer. I can imagine him on those nights just looking at the can with all the signatures in, hungry to finish the work. Distinctiveness, honesty, freedom from fear and a hope. These have an amazing impact on the lives of those stuck in the terminal with Victor. He goes from a random nobody that nobody wants to know to someone genuinely loved. Maybe except by Frank. When he finally gets to go, they all gather. It's a big gathering. Everybody from everywhere knows Victor after the year. They all come from their different shops to see him leave the door. To see him leave the door. It's a great scene. It's worth a watch. Art imitates life. I wonder, could you connect with the sense of being stuck in the terminal? Knowing that there was more outside. The Bible says God put eternity in people's hearts. It's a thirst for something more that both Christian and non-Christian alike share in. I was at a humanist wedding on uh, Friday and uh, it was interesting to hear the conversation between the some, the person taking the wedding, the presider, the humanist vicar, and the, 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 the bride who was uh, getting married on the day. The bride's dad had died a few months before the ceremony. And there was nothing that this lady could offer her. Absolutely nothing. The bride was hungry to know that there was something more. But in the setting, there was, it was emptiness. It was a terminal with no hope. God put eternity in people's hearts. We know the God from outside the box who comes into the box as Jesus. Not only proving that there is more outside the box, but making it possible for us to eventually see it and experience it. Eventually. Not yet. But eventually. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Why would Jesus ask us to pray that? Well, because the kingdom is not here. It's near. And we see it in pockets when people are healed and uh, we find healing and are cured. It's near. It's at hand, but it's not here. For we know, Paul says to the Corinthians from our reading, that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. We are God's temple now and then. But meanwhile... And I stress the meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked, singing hallelujah. But meanwhile, we groan. Is this not the life that the art is imitating? The life in the terminal, the life of groaning, knowing that there's more to life than this. That sense of nakedness that we try and cover by things we do. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, making garments out of jobs and filling whatever you put in there. The clothing being talked about by Paul in our Bible reading is an eternal one to cover an eternal groaning for an eternal relationship with Mr. Sun, Moon and Star Maker. Nothing else can satisfy. And until thy kingdom come, we are one with the world in the groaning in the groaning of earthly tents, one in the terminal. What does that look like? Some of my family members, they know Jesus permanent, per, personally. Some of them don't. That hurts. So I groan. I pray for some people, they get healed. Normally it's the people I'm, I don't really like that much. I pray for those that I really love, they don't get healed. So I groan and it hurts. I stub my torn toe on the corner of the coffee table. Some words come up in my mind and to the top of my mouth that I don't want to say. I don't like swearing. It reminds me that sin is something I have to grapple with. That hurts, so I groan. I do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with my heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal, the part of me that swears, that feels lonely sometimes, that part may be swallowed up up by eternity himself, by the Holy Spirit. But I'm still here. Clothed in temporary, mortal, swearing flesh, still here on earth. This life is the terminal, knowing there is more, being dissatisfied with the present, but being present on earth, not in heaven, not yet at least. What's our hope? What makes us different? Now, Paul says, the one who has fashioned us for this purpose is God. Isn't that good news? That our very presence in this life, in this time, on this earth, with its groaning, our temporary tentness, if you may, is all under God's purview. We're not groping in the darkness like the bride at the humanist wedding. That's what's missing from the film. Everyone is stuck. It's by chance that Victor comes. It's by chance that he's there. But we worship a God who always planned to enter this temporary space this terminal, this box, so that we who are temporary beings may know the permanent, eternal, immortal God in a way we can comprehend. It's an act of love towards us, planned from the very beginning, not left to chance. Isn't that good news? That in this terminal, this hyphen between our birthday and our death day, we find God-dating space. That after this short life of dating, we get to move in together with Mr. Sun, Moon and Star Maker forever in his house where there are many rooms and fullness of joy in his presence. Isn't that good news? That he made the first move, he took a knee. Stooped down the great distance from heaven to earth. While we were busy swearing, trying to satisfy our hunger and thirst for him in our jobs and families and money and sex and a glass of wine each evening, that he took a knee and called us by name, "Hey, called us beautiful. Hey, you're beautiful." Wooed us with incredible songs of love, took the vows of commitment. And this is loud in my mind, having been to a humanist wedding on Friday and another wedding yesterday. He took the vows of commitment to us and then demonstrated that commitment even as we rejected him, nailing him to a cross outside the city. Then he resurrected, proving to us that no one other than him could take care of us, not even ourselves, for none of us, not one, could come back from the dead. And then resurrected, he asks us to be his bride, to be children of the Father, children in law, righteous in his eyes, graciously adopted, He asks us to commit ourselves to him, the source of life. To plant ourselves by the never-ending stream, by the river. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit, comforter in this intermittent time, in this terminal. Richard describes him as the the engagement ring. Imagine that, still in God-dating space, you get the ring. It's a a promise that you are are an important member, an important part of the wedding feast that is to come. So just be patient. I go to prepare a place for you. We are the people reconciled with God. The old which may feel like it stops us talking to the God who loves us is gone. It may make us groan from time to time, but it has no power or bearing on our future Our future is hidden in Jesus who is right now seated at the right hand of the Father and we can talk with the pride of one engaged to God. One promised complete unity, eternal unity with the maker of all things. The master painter who paints a new unique sunrise each day. Who carved the contours of your fingerprints and your eyelashes and knows the amount of hairs on your head. And then reconciled with him, with this God who loves us first. As Paul says, we make it our goal to please him. Pleasing him isn't a, a chore. It's just that thing you do because you know you are loved and you are overwhelmed by the love that he has for you. The best part about it, as Paul says in the passage, is we get rewards in heaven for it as well. So on top of responding to love, you get rewards for responding to love. Isn't that amazing? And that's what makes us a new thing. In a world that's thirsting for perfect love and finding imperfect love in the people, we come as those who are perfectly loved. In a world thirsting for assurances about future, we come as those guaranteed future. In a world that's at war with itself, we come as the people of the reconciliation, people who know what, what it means to live in peace with God. We are reconciled to God. In a world that is temporary, that's a terminal. We are ambassadors of an eternal kingdom. Carrying the invitation cards to the wedding feast. The effect of a new person in the film, a distinct person, is hope and freedom for others. What will our effect be? Us who are the new thing in a broken world. Will we smile in the packed carriage? Give a seat for the hoodie and show him or her love in some way will we say hi to the neighbors on our street or will we be gripped by fear that's the choice fear or hope so earth until the kingdom comes is a place of groaning but it's also god dating space he has proposed and popped the big question hey i love you will you love me And for those who've said yes the Holy Spirit is the engagement ring the promise now of what is to come by whom we see pictures of what the kingdom is like when we pray when we receive forgiveness. He's the assurance of our presence at the wedding feast as the king's bride. And then four while we are here on earth we are different and the difference is a sign of love for those God is drawing to him. We are to groan with them but we groan and have hope. It's a sign to us of the new coming kingdom for which we are being prepared. And for me, the groaning is evidence, if anything, that earth is passing away and that heaven is on its way. I groan because I know there's something better than what I'm experiencing currently. And that's proof to me of what's to come. Let us be patient, let us be faithful, let us be hopeful. When the time comes and our Father's work is done and we've got that signature in the can, we'll have a new cloak placed over us and there will be no more groaning for we will be headed home. But Actually, home will be brought to us. Not yet. Not yet. Soon, but not yet. Let us pray.